Hey, my name is Sean, and I like learning about how things work and why. By day, I'm a designer and researcher, and I moonlight by interviewing exceptional people here on Promise. Every episode of Promise is an open-ended discussion on the idea of Promise itself. Whether that's the potential for success or the commitments we make to get there, Promise showcases tomorrow's heroes before they get famous. This week, I host Chris Hudson, founder of Company Road. Company Road is his newly launched coaching and consultancy business. We chat about who entrepreneurs are and what makes a good one, how Chris enables clients to be their own experts, how empowering entrepreneurship can help build the future of work, and what this future looks like to Chris. If you're interested in more thoughts about coaching and the future of work, have a listen to my episode with Paul Wendivisundaram, co-founder of Medu. In the meantime, please enjoy my discussion with Chris Hudson. Today on the show, we welcome Chris Hudson, founder of Company Road. Company Road is a bespoke coaching and consultancy service specializing in transformation coaching, business design, product design, and experience design. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for having me. No problem. Just looking at the introduction that I gave of you, it seems like the consultancy service that you provide spans a huge gamut of different varieties of expertise. So I'm wondering how you would best describe yourself and what you do. Yeah, I mean, you've touched on it. I'm a consultant and a coach, and I've practiced in a lot of different things along my winding career path. A long-term practitioner of human-centered design, and I've spent over 20 years or so in, in different areas, really, starting with marketing and more more omni-channel, but also then moving into creative tech and product and experience design, and then more broadly, business design. The newly launched business company, Rhodes, is there to help clients really design those game-changing innovation strategies that support continuous corporate growth. But drawing from a lot of different areas is probably the shortest way to describe it. Okay, so in conversations that you and I have had in the past, one of the things that you said was you really want to focus on enabling the entrepreneur. Now, I think basically everybody will be familiar with the term entrepreneur. What is the difference between the two yeah, what what is your definition of an entrepreneur? Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it's usually entrepreneur that you hear of, and entrepreneur is a different take on it. And it's actually a term or a name that's been kicking around for quite a few years now. So it was coined by somebody in the 1980s. There was a couple of management consultants called Gifford and Elizabeth Pinchot, uh, and they wrote a book on it called Entrepreneuring, and it was all around why you don't have to leave the corporation to become an entrepreneur. And they described entrepreneurs as dreamers who do and those who take on hands-on responsibility for creating innovation of any kind within a business. So it's more or less within the constraints of any business or organization, and you're trying to find some way of breaking through that to achieve the outcomes that you're looking for. And it's been used in a scattered way throughout the last few decades. You'll be familiar with it, but it's now turned into a fairly established concept. And actually, to the extent that most years now, there's already a list that's published on which books every entrepreneur should read. So you get to see some of the usual titles popping up in that from Blue Ocean Strategy to Purple Cow with Seth Godin. And then you've got Sprint and Simon Sinek and various other ones that pop up. It it feels like it's becoming a fairly established phenomenon now. 
that nowadays most people have a pretty good idea of what it means, even though it's not a term that you hear every day. Okay. So why is somebody like this important to a business? Well, somebody within a business is an inside entrepreneur. So they're using entrepreneurial skills without the associated risks that an entrepreneur would usually take on themselves. But there are obviously constraints that they're working with. So they're usually employees that work on special projects. They've got innovative ideas for themselves. They're working within a larger company. They're given the agency to develop projects in a way that an entrepreneur would, but they have the resources of the company behind them. And actually, they follow the goals of the organization because they're trying to achieve a certain outcome. So the company backs those ventures in the hope that they'll become profitable. And they're often leaders, but they're not always managers. So they have to work within quite a few different areas. And they often have to walk and operate quite fluidly between the different parts of the business. So entrepreneurs are often those rising stars. Actually, in my world, they're current and aspiring transformation leaders of some sort, usually within a product role, CX or customer experience, design or people and culture. They can come from a lot of different areas. And actually, they're looking to bring about change that that's required both front of house in external experience and what the business stands for and how they take products and services to market, but also back of house to make sure that the business and the delivery of those products and services actually operates in the ways that it needs to. What happens is that they're important because usually there's some level of fragmentation and transformation niching uh, where people are focusing on different things at different times and at different speeds. And usually the entrepreneurs fundamental to bringing all of that together and actually establishing a sense of purpose, but also pushing the company towards a certain outcome. And usually these initiatives are spread amongst several within an organization and they have to come together. But if they don't come together, then that can stunt progress in a really big way. So you alluded to who might become an entrepreneur. You mentioned that there'll be probably some rising stars who are wanting to drive some change in the business. How does somebody like that get noticed in order to be given the role of entrepreneur? Or is it not a role that's given, it's one that's taken? It's not really a badge as such. It's more that you assume a mindset or a practice within yourself. So you would take on the attributes of one without knowing that you're one potentially. And an entrepreneur demonstrates certain qualities. You've got to be a challenger of some sort, usually championing a cause that can take the company from A to B to C to D. Uh, or even just from A to D without any of the steps in between. You've got to be a real influencer and facilitator of change. And usually probably considering yourself an entrepreneur once certain things have been achieved rather than setting out to be one in the first place. If you feel like you're getting runs on the board and your influence and your output is actually leading to things that are tangible and that are noticeable within the organization from the bottom up all the way to the top at sea level, you're being acknowledged and praised really for the work and the influence and the change that you've been able to bring about. So I think one of the barriers that is pretty common across larger organizations is the information silos and corporate hierarchy that seems to just weigh pretty heavy on these big companies. And I would assume that that's a traditional barrier for an entrepreneur, but are there any others that you can think of? Yeah, there are so many actually. In fact, you know, whether it's a small organization or a large corporate there are blockers, right? You've got stagnating corporate practices. Some are unique to each of those different entities, but also some are shared and they'd be more common. You tend to have a split of people that are newer to the workforce. And then you've got lifers who are more resistant to change or who are probably more wedded to things running a certain way from an operational standpoint. 
And then you get to this fragmentation and a misalignment of programs of work. There's lack of clarity around some of the responsibilities that people should take on or need to take on. There are legacy systems, there's tech debt, there are talent wars, obviously, where people are trying to be brought in. Some of those things obviously get in the way of actually making change happen. And there's obviously team retention and keeping people motivated and and creating a culture that's nurturing and respectful of people these days and helping people really move from one place to the next in their own professional development. So people overall are feeling frustrated. I think there's a lot of treading water and people often question their own credibility when every change they suggest isn't being heard or adopted. So an entrepreneur or somebody that's trying to affect change, they desperately want to translate their strategy into vision and action and actually gain the recognition for doing so at a certain speed. But people lose heart, you know, they lose faith in their own abilities. So they've got the vision to succeed, but they shouldn't be held back by some of those organizational constraints. And actually, until they find a way to make the change they want to see in the world, they feel a bit underwhelmed, underheard, probably a lesser sense of self-worth until they can achieve some of those things. So the barriers are both at an organizational level, but all the way through to a personal level where some deep motivations for change are just not being realized in one way or another. And that's just struggling to get through and people want to break out of that and actually make the change that they want to see. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Gosh, there's so many layers to your answer there. I guess I'm most curious, actually, how did you come to focus on working with entrepreneurs? Is it from encountering people who did this kind of work in the past? Or, yeah, what's the story behind that? Yeah, so I've worked in various consultancies and enterprise level businesses internationally as well. And I found myself drawn to some of these typologies, really, that sit within businesses. And they're almost like luminaries. There's the flame there, and you kind of get drawn to that. So, in the early parts of your career, I think most people would find this, that you're often given the problems that someone wants you to solve because the problems cascade from the top down to the people that need to solve them. And you actually then develop a taste or an affinity for the problems that you like to solve. And then from then on in, you might start to think about the things that you want to go and solve next based on the experience that you've accumulated. So you gravitate towards some of these problems to solve and then the people who are usually facing those problems. And for me, that tended to be more the entrepreneur that I was trying to help. And it was usually me playing an entrepreneur's role, either on behalf of those entrepreneurs in helping them and supporting them, but also from the outside of an organization. It may have been sometimes I was working within their team, but usually it was from the outside as a consultant where you're looking to support. So really drawn to it from that point of view in trying to help them as much as possible. Okay, so you've alluded to working both inside organizations and as a consultant previously. So I'm wondering what is your background and what makes it especially suited to helping entrepreneurs develop and developing entrepreneurship within companies? With the business that I've just launched, it really brings together a lot of different areas. Having worked in both those consultancies and enterprise level businesses, you start to get a feel for how the diverse skill sets can really play a role. And there's almost this moment of clarity, I think, in somebody's career where you start to see that the constellation is actually a pattern of things that you can draw upon. <laughs> you know, there are different drawers and levers and whichever analogy you want to use, the things that you can draw from in your career that when brought together can be incredibly powerful. And so after all of that work in probably lots of different disparate areas, I was trying to bring all that together 
And a business transformation really relies on many of those areas of expertise uniting and usually involving a number of different stakeholders and representatives from an organization and to really align on what needs to be done. Bringing together the worlds of design, product, experience, CX, business seem to make sense. There's always a void between the leadership and key strategies aren't usually defined by practitioners like myself, not really taking it from a human-centered design point of view but it's usually quite prescriptive to a practitioner that wants to break open that problem and actually understand it more, then it's not entirely helpful because you want to explore more to then find the root cause of that, to then build out the solution that will then answer for it in a way. So there are a lot of different things that that I have to work with from fragmented teams, departments, partners, looking at different fragmented initiatives, duplication and opposition of effort. You're trying to create a sense of harmony. And I think the hybrid nature of the work does bring those elements together, really. There's also a lack of awareness around what you're trying to do usually. There's not really an understanding of what everyone should be doing at the same time. So that common purpose is often unknown. And you often hear that story about the project that started that had no wider buy-in and lots of silos and lots of projects happen everywhere within a big organization, particularly when you're working within an organization that's one or two or three or 10,000 people. There's a lot that can go on. That story of the project that had no wider buy-in, consultants were brought in to fix it, and then one day you suddenly hear that the whole team was let go and the consultants are left wondering who's going to pick up the project and what happened to it. Nobody knows anything about it. This stuff happens all the time, and money and time is spent on it. it. There needs to be some level of coordination that brings those things together. The other thing that I find is that, you know, particularly within human-centered design, there's usually a bias that creeps in and a bit of a lean towards any one of the areas of desirability, viability, or feasibility. And actually, organizations are caught up in one of those areas most of the time, but but are not usually able to see the harmony of all three. They could be caught up in delivery of a service that they don't bring enough customer view in and quite delivery orientated, or they're too caught up in the commercial aspect that some of those features and some of the constructs of what they're trying to deliver are then deemed to be non-negotiable because it's delivered a certain amount of sales in the past and now we couldn't possibly change that because it, it just feels like a constraint. And there, you know, there are lots of different biases that creep in, but confirmation bias based on what's already happened, it's quite a common one. And yeah, I'm looking really to just bring in my expertise to help those that are struggling with those challenges and trying to break down some of those constraints and really work with them and really push forward from there on in. Awesome. A very, very comprehensive answer. Thanks, Chris. Okay, so when you left your previous organization and you decided to start Company Road, taking all of those skills and experience that you had, what was the potential that you saw in this space that made you decide you wanted to focus on it? Yeah, I think as a whole, entrepreneurs, they're usually trying a lot of things all the time. They live in a culture of experimentation. So they usually have tried most things within their own power to get the results that they're looking for. But often they're stuck within a certain area of focus or a department or a team or a perspective might be somewhat distorted by something that they've tried out and it didn't work. So it's really jumping in at that point. And as a human-centered designer, my role is usually to break through all of that and actually help them to realize that perspective and bring together a blend of human-centered design, but also change management and really immersive facilitation. And looking at the power of influence within an organization, you can leverage that really powerfully. And I think that usually you don't know your own influence until somebody else points it out within an organization, typically. It's helping some of the leaders realize what they can achieve 
but also the collective influence of other people that they can connect within the organization as well. And that change can come about quite dramatically as a result of just getting that calibration right. It's all really about the potential of connecting those entrepreneurs, not only as a single entrepreneur, but also the wider network of entrepreneurs within an organization to the people that will have the ideas and that will break through all of the noise and actually break through into something bigger and better. Usually it's a facilitation role and it can be very powerful that way. Speaking of bigger and better, let's talk about Company Road a little bit more. So to start off with, I'm wondering if there's a story behind the name Company Road. There's always a story with any company name. And (laughs) most people's stories usually end up far from where they start. There were several versions of the name before landing on this one. And some were made up words, as is often the way these days. There are so many company names that you don't really understand until you look them up. But I wanted to choose something that people would, would really understand and get straight away. You may disagree, but I think that there's a lot of jargon in business these days, and I wanted to just cut through that and not have a jargon-based word. And it's hard to do in this day and age. Operating as a jargon-free business, you come across stuff all the time. It's hard to penetrate sometimes. Company just turned up, seems obvious, but it signifies a commercial business. It's also to do with the company's direction. Companies like to make things easy by really focusing on the things that will translate into commercial successes as quickly as possible. So the company aspect is around that, and it's really based on the formula that's existed historically where people come together to achieve what they want to achieve. It's around the success that can be realized when that formula is right, and that's why company is important. On a second layer, it's also a collective noun because it means a group. You can have a company of actors or singers or dancers and soldiers. They can come together, they gather, they work, they perform together, they achieve something together. And so company is very important. And Company Road is then about finding and harnessing the power of many to affect the change that you want to see and for the good of many as well. So I've come at it from a quite a utilitarian point of view as a value system. And I'm really looking to establish the path for people within organizations that more easily gets you to the greatest good for that organization and for the people involved along the way. So that's a shortish answer to the question. <laughs> shortish, still multi-layered, despite wanting to cut through all the jargon. Okay, <laughs> now I'm going to interrogate a few of the things that are on your website. We'll stick the link to the website in the show notes. One of the things that you say Company Road does is challenging the status quo of consulting. So I would like to hear your version of what you think the status quo is and how Company Road is markedly different from just general consulting. For sure. I think you can answer that fairly broadly in that business these days is conducted with an agenda of some kind. And that's a broad sweeping statement. But what happens is there's a definition of what needs to happen And that definition is then taken as given and then that the people that need to work on that particular project, the project team is obviously defined. People decide that whether or not they can take that on themselves within an enterprise or within a corporate and they might bring on some partners to help them with it. But essentially it's already defined and there's really little stopping that from then happening until it's then delivered. What we're trying to do is really break away from some of that constraint and also ask people to really reconsider the resourcing model that sits beneath delivering some of those things and also the way in which you might deliver some of those things. So taking a more open mindset, being a little bit more open, curious and playful towards some of the 
things that might come up, perhaps being more comfortable with some of the ambiguity that might come up and in navigating that towards something that's a bit more concrete so that within businesses uh, and particularly within consultancies as a knock-on effect, there, there's a way of actually enabling a greater level of entrepreneurialism <laughs> within that business context. So the difference there in terms of the status quo is that consulting is very much about parachuting in at a point where an organization has got to a point where they need external help. And the challenging part really comes from the fact that we don't have a prescribed agenda, we're comfortable with the ambiguity, and we understand that the course may need to change in whichever way, and we're pretty agnostic to whichever way that needs to go. We're going to start with the businesses and actually seek to understand not only their explicit needs and the business context, the things that they tell us about, but also the implicit things. So almost running it like you'd run a research piece, designing for things that actually are experienced within the business. We're looking to understand a current team's capability and actually deliver the programs of work based on what you have there in the locker already. <laughs> We're not looking to reinvent things. We'll be impartial facilitators. We want to hero your team and your leaders and your high-performing team members in delivering those transformative programs of work. And we're not really there to just take the work away and then show it to you in three months time with a big ta-da moment. So it's making the clients really the experts within their organization as opposed to consultancies who, who may just take it all on and then add a few more zeros at the end of it all to finish the job. <laughs> so really the role is to empower, to facilitate change through the talent that people already have and they really want to access and harness because so many people are wondering whether they're in the right job these days that it's important for that sense of achievement to be realized to a greater degree. So where there are gaps, we coach and we bring in outside help from our network of collaborators, and that can be all specific to the client's needs. We're pretty methodical. We've got all the different frameworks that we can bring in, but we're also very unset in our ways and we're not precious. And we're pretty open to most ways in which a company would want to work. And yeah, we're building the service and the capability around our clients and not around a particular tech platform that we happen to be skilled in. It's a lot of things, but it's broadly there to be as open and as welcoming as possible to any particular client based on the fact that we're not going to tell them this is absolutely the way that it has to be done. Mm -hmm. Okay. So focusing on being unset in your ways, I know that design thinking is one of the methods that you use to elicit transformation. Can you give us any examples of other methods that you might use? And on top of that, you've also mentioned potentially bringing in collaborators. I'd like to hear if you had any uh, other example methods, as well as the kinds of collaborators that you might bring in and, and, and what situation might dictate how you choose who you partner with and the choice in, in methods that you might employ. Yep. Design thinking is obviously a method for transformation and it's it's a process within human-centered design, the mindset, design thinking is the process. And actually it's one way to spark change in quite a tangible way. So you have a brand or product or service that you want to change, you push it through a design thinking process. And in its design, in its corporate application, by definition, it should bring about some level of uniformity to complex and incongruous strands of business practice in some way or another, you'd hope. So as a base layer, you've got design thinking as a sense-making tool and practice that you can fall back on. But being unset means that you can take drifts in and out of that. And actually, 
what's critical to change management is that you need to work within the systems and the environment that you see and the systemic things that you see to really create the conditions for success based on the context that you see as defined in front of you. So you need to take what's there as a backdrop and then move and then design and engineer the system around it. So you've actually got potential for open versus fixed outcomes and there might be different methodologies that you bring in and adapt based on that. You might need to venture into agile or waterfall or a mixture of both, a hybrid practice to really bring about some of the outcomes that you need to. You also need to know when to deepen your knowledge on an area and when to bring in more perspectives. So knowing when to converge and when to diverge is really the skill <laughs> because sometimes you go big and sometimes you need to say, actually, this is where we need to focus. So in terms of the situation that would would lead you to one or another of those different outcomes, I think I like the framework of the knowns and the unknowns. And I don't know if you've seen that, but you work off a grid and it's, it's known knowns or it's known unknowns. The, the grid is there. And, and sometimes we can move forward with confidence because we know what the problem with a product or a system is. But in other cases, we actually need to challenge what we know or accept that we can't predict those things. But different approaches lend themselves to each of those different things. So if you've got known knowns and there are things that you're absolutely certain of, then it's really simple to move to quick but fairly long-standing solutions. Whereas if you're in unknown knowns where others know but you don't know, you're designing a system that surfaces opportunities and insights, right? So you're designing a more generative system. There might be another one. So if it's unknown unknowns, then you might need to design more of a system around experimentation that can always lead you to a more concrete level of understanding. So it really depends on the context. And I think the context can then define the methodology. And then the diversity of perspective comes in because you can fix it using a certain skill set. You might have an agile coach to come in to do certain parts and be totally comfortable with running to, you know, in a sprint cadence and running with set of tasks that are very defined within each sprint. Or you can then design it differently based on the fact that you know exactly what you're doing and you just get to the next gate. It depends really on that. But the diversity of perspectives is really important and the collaboration is key. So you look to surface that from within the organization, but you can also bring in external experts from a data science point of view. You can bring in uh, behavioral scientists. You can bring in futurologists. It depends on what kind of perspectives you're seeking, but that can be in applying a different lens to the problem or the situation that you're facing as well. That's great because it kind of starts touching on an answer that I might expect you to respond with in my next question. But moving on to that, I guess as a consultancy, you're ultimately beholden to who your clients are and as a consequence, what their situation is, and therefore what approach you might use to address the issues that they have. So from your personal perspective, are you looking at your projects as untangling legacy issues with existing companies? Or is it more from the perspective of, I'm actually enabling the future of work through these innovative practices and unlocking potential within these companies? It's usually the two at once. Isn't that what most businesses are looking for? <laughs> it feels like the two need to meet and either one alone creates problems in my view. So a legacy on its own leads to stagnation and no change and everyone gets frustrated because nothing works properly. Then you've got the other side, which is the newfangled technology and the new tech and the working practices that everyone expects and aspires to, but they can't seem to connect that to what's happening today. 
So actually looking at those new opportunities and challenges brings about the conversation, but then the transition actually needs to be managed really carefully. And it's usually an integration of the two. It's a bit like a three-legged race in that you have to be in sync when you're running together. You have to bring the old with you, but you also have to have the direction and the and the skill really to really move forward um, to take on some of the new tech and the future of work can be enabled that way. But the future of work is it's open for discussion. You can only look so far ahead and actually most business initiatives are focused on fairly short-term goals. So it really depends on how those are being defined. So looking at the future of work itself, the last couple of years have seen a lot of change happen for businesses in terms of ways of working, having to transition to remote first or hybrid first, or maybe trying to force people to get back into the office now. What do you think the future of work could look like? It's a good big question. I think that it's got to be more fluid than it has been in the sense that the workforce is becoming more confident in taking a leap of faith in another direction. And that can be within their own organization. So the barriers between departments within a large organization are now lower and you can easily cross skill and move and jump up and jumping around and actually retrain almost within the comfort and within the security of your role. But also that if you do want to step outside of that, then there are many more options and quite decent ones now. The contracting economy and the gig economy is really picking up. The peer-to-peer networks are there. People can really rely less on recruiters because they can almost retrain themselves as super hyper-connectors and they can be introduced to other people. And I think particularly in this market, people are very willing to helping each other out in this sense. I know from a Melbourne point of view, you can quite easily get a coffee with somebody if you want to, as long as you offer to pay, you know, (laughs) there's that. But it's also the fluidity of working anywhere. You can be at home, you can be in an office, you can be in a shared workspace. The workplace is and probably will become everywhere. And it's also going to be in the metaverse. You're going to be in a mix of physical and digital environments and you could pop up anywhere. So I think designing for that flexibility from now on will be important and You can stay true to some of the things that work well if you're a business. There won't be a formula for everyone, and that will need to be reconsidered probably within each organization's culture and how they define it, but also the employee experience that they look to design as well. And I think more and more people actually go out alone with total confidence that they'll be able to work on what they want, when they want, with who they want to work with. And I'll give you an example. I've recently joined up as a partner with Carrot Collective, and they're a network of two and a half thousand people around the world and pretty much working off a distributed agency model and they offer companies and brands an alternative to a traditional agency because it's built on a network based on talented people coming together to solve problems and it's not based on a fixed location the teams are brought together crack teams brought together as and when they need to be connected they're connected by the purpose and the skill set just really slots into the challenge that that a particular organization is trying to face. It can mean that you still have certain teams running for a period of time, but you can obviously create some of those teams on the fly based on what the client needs and project needs are from anywhere in the world. And you can run it obviously around the clock and through the time zones as well. So there are a lot of interesting things like this popping up where the concept of work and the concept of workplace and your belonging to that place are deliberately being challenged and, and being disrupted. And I'm keen to really 
see where that takes us from my own point of view, for company roads point of view, but also broader corporates and broader organizations as well, and also help them manage transition to that. Okay. So in taking these steps into the bold future of the brave new world of company road, what are the next steps for you? I feel like what I've said today can still sound complicated, but it doesn't have to be. <laughs> I mean, it, it feels like that's the backdrop. And actually the, the main purpose for me and the main reason for me doing this is to make transformation easier for businesses in some way. So we're going to be working on a blend of coaching and consulting engagements. And those could be across product or service or experience design and business design. But we're going to be looking to really drop in and out where we need to. So coaching to empower current or future leaders and their teams, looking to consult to support teams on projects where we need to and actually taking on the work. But it's a model designed around that total flexibility. So in a sense, there's a do it for me, do it with me and do it yourself type version of what we can offer. And it's going to be up to the organizations and the clients to determine which one of those is right. And we can help them define that, obviously. But as I said, it's ideal that we work within a team that is already up and running. They just need a bit of a helping hand or at least getting them to that point. So that would be the ideal. And I think there are other offshoots of that as well, but that would be where we'd like to take it. So if you have an ideal team makeup that you'd like to parachute into, would you have an ideal client that you'd like to work with? or a dream partner organization? I don't think so specifically. Uh, and I want to keep that open deliberately because part of starting your own business is to figure out where that direction takes you. And I want to be totally open to that and I really want to embrace it. So I'm not going to shut any doors just yet, but it's pretty much is any frustrated listeners out there or business leaders out there that are struggling to realize the change that they want to see within their organization and typically they could be a company or they could be a transformation leader already. Somebody who's rapidly rising up the ranks, they're on a mission to make a difference in the world, but from within the walls of their company. So coming back to the definition of entrepreneur, they're looking to really make their mark and they need some help in getting them to that point in one way or another. So that would be the broad definition, yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, last few questions I've got here. Company Road at the moment is just yourself, Chris Hudson. Is this always going to be a one-man band, the Chris Hudson Show, or are you ever going to look to grow the team? I know you already have the Carrot Collective with whom you can collaborate with, but in terms of your own company, is it just going to be you? So I'm looking to extend my network of collaborators at the moment and really build up that collective and really work in a new way. I think that if you take away the concept of employment, and a company that employs somebody to do something, then actually it becomes incredibly flexible, particularly in that collaboration space. So flexibly, it should take us naturally to some of the most challenging and exciting projects that are happening anywhere in the world, I'm hoping. <laughs> so we'd like to do that. I don't really want to define the direction that we take just yet. I think gravitating towards you know, the largest problems that need to be solved from a transformation point of view will we'll land in, in, in an interesting space, no matter what, really. So love to do that. And then I'm also going to be setting up a transformation community where we can share ideas and connect people to one another. And there can be that peer to peer acknowledgement of what's happening there at a more granular level. So it's so not just at, at the level that we've spoken today, but actually going deeper into issues, providing helpful frameworks that can provide that support as needed as well. So almost acting as an education platform and we'll be running workshops and some other things designed to help transformation leaders all around the world 
combat some of the things that they're facing. So that would be the next step, probably. Mm -hmm. So you've painted a picture of a very collaborative, decentralized and flexible future. However, I'm semi-conscious that this is what the future for an operator like yourself and your collaborators might look like, but not necessarily one that your clients will end up in. So I'm wondering if everything goes right for you, what do you think the world looks like? I feel like it's a, I feel like it, it should become more like a self-learning and self-help type situation. I think that there's this difficulty right now in people accessing the help and the training that they need as and when they need it and in a more on-demand setting. So that can be jumping into a course, but in a less formal way or accessing the mentoring or the expertise or a subject matter expert they need to bring into a project to help with them. So it should be a self-powered platform, a self-learning platform that, that will really empower those business leaders to fly without much intervention from the consultancies would be my goal. And actually everyone at that point is able to contribute to their business and their organization, their community, all the world more generally in a more meaningful way actually working in the way that they want to, in any way that they want to. So I think that would be the ideal, but it does sound terribly idealistic at this stage as well. (laughs) Well, speaking of it being terribly idealistic and also an ideal to aim for, what do you think you personally need to do to, to help build that? It's giving power to the people, ultimately. I think education and just democratizing a lot of what happens within consultancies would be a start. As we've seen happen, there's a lot of vocational training that people are doing at the minute. It's really giving them that sense of, okay, I know how I can train out to really better myself and improve myself in this area, but also to identify the needs and help people become more fluent in that area too, because usually there's an unknown or an undescribable need that people don't put their finger on until somebody else in another department tells them that they should train up in this area because that's going to be good in line with their professional development. So it's really a lot to do with self-awareness and and self-understanding when it comes to your own skill set, knowing what you're good at, knowing where you can make the next natural move and helping people connect the dots of their career progression together in a way that separates it from that corporate life that once existed and still does exist, but if you can help people realize or explore that trajectory themselves, then it's self-empowerment and actually it gives them the ability to move on. So education is definitely key to it. I also think that the peer-to-peer connection and connecting leaders to the right people within a network will help them solve their problems a bit more readily and helping organizations getting better at balancing desirability, viability, feasibility without bias and without confirmation bias creeping in will be an important part of it. And finally, I think that setting precedents for business transformation and making it all a lot simpler and just a lot more accessible will be a big step for a lot of businesses and business leaders out there as well. Spoken like a true coach, a very empowering message to finish the conversation on. So thank you very much, Chris, for joining us today. The last thing that I'll get you to share with us is if you had any social media or contact info that you'd like to share in case anybody would like to reach out to you. For sure, yeah. I'm on LinkedIn, as most companies are. So Chris Hudson or Company Road, you find us there. And the website is companyroad.co.co. Awesome. I'll stick all those links in the show notes as well. Chris, it has been a pleasure. 
hopefully we can check back in in about a year or so, if not a little bit longer, and see how Company Road and yourself are faring then. Thanks so much, Sean. Great to talk to you today. Thanks so much for your podcast and looking forward to talking to you next time. Awesome. Thank you. And that's it for today's episode of Promise. Be sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes on your favorite podcast platform. Do you think you or someone you know would have ideas worth sharing? Send me an email to sean at promise.fm or DM me on Twitter at sean underscore AHD. Otherwise, stay tuned, subscribe, and learn what it's like before the success when what we've got is promise.